who out there would uh, would say that you are Star Wars fans? Star Wars fans. Don't be shy. Be proud. Star Wars fans. Okay. Uh, this will tell me how much you really are Star Wars fans. There's a new show, a new Star Wars show. It's on Disney+. Plus. It's called The Mandalorian. Who knows about The Mandalorian? Okay, good, good. The rest of you, there's the door. No, no just, just kidding, just kidding. So uh, those of you who watch The Mandalorian, you know what this is. This is not Yoda. Don't insult him. Don't, don't insult him. This is not Yoda. This is somebody, somebody tell me who this is. Louder. Baby Yoda will work. What's, what's he actually called in the show? Nobody knows. All right, you failed the geek test. Oh, come on. The child. That's exactly right. This is the child. And my child, my youngest child, actually has this. This is his toy. And uh, right now it's his prized possession. Uh, this is the child, a.k.a. baby Yoda. And uh, he's part of the show, The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian is about this um, bounty hunter who's part of the Mandalorian clan, okay? And this is after, for those of you who have not seen any of the recent stuff, this is after the return of the Jedi. You know, like the last movie uh, with Luke Skywalker where he, he actually saves Darth Vader, you know, and that whole thing. After Return of the Jedi, this show takes place in that, that time period, all right? And the Mandalorian, the central person of the show, uh, he lives by a code. And all the bounty hunters that are part of his clan, they live by this code. And it's a statement. And the statement is, this is the way. This is the way. They say that over and over again. Uh, every time they interact with each other, they say, this is the way. Every time there's a hard decision to be made, this is the way. Um, and the job of the Mandalorian is really to protect the child and to get him back to his own kind, whatever that means. They don't know where he's from and his species and all that. And uh, it's full of all kinds of, a, of trials and adversity and adventure. And every time that the Mandalorian is tempted to just give up, he remembers that mantra, this is the way. And this is the way denotes um, a way of belief. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of acting for all who, who claim that title, bounty hunter, who all are, are part of that Mandalorian clan and the honor that goes with it. It defines them. It, it's like this banner over everything they do. This is the way to be part of the Mandalorian. And it also speaks to uh, their belief system, their philosophy. This is how life should be lived. This is the way to do it. And in the first century, the early church Christians weren't called Christians for quite a while. We talked about that last week as we started this series. We talked about the fact that in Antioch, that was the first place and the first time that the church, the followers of Jesus, were actually given the title Christian. And we, we said that last week. But before they were called Christian, they were known as the way. And that's what they called themselves. That's the name they took on. That's the banner that they, they carried over their lives and over their, their group, over everything they were, over everything they did. It was the way. And if you were a follower of Christ in the first century, that's what being a Christian really meant for you, and that's what you identified as. And we see some of that uh, shown to us in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 
through 5, and that's where we're going to start off today, Acts 9, 1 through 5. The Word of God says this, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He was there when Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was martyred. He was holding the garments of those who stoned Stephen, and he said, you know what, this is a good idea. Why limit it to just him, though? We can stamp out this whole movement. And so he took it upon himself to be the annihilator of the early church. He was still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. The early church went by the way. They were known as that probably because of what Jesus said to the disciples about himself before he went to the cross. That's recorded in John 14. And as we look at a few verses in this passage, it's going to really show why Jesus said what he did to Saul. When he was persecuting this group, this new movement called the way, he finds out from Jesus that the way is far more than just a group of people. The way goes beyond being a certain system of belief. It goes beyond intellectual facts. It goes beyond theological truth. Rather, the way, first and foremost, is a person. It's a person. The way is a living, divine being, none other than the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John 14, before he went to the cross, here's what Jesus said to his disciples, which no doubt is what led to them, after he left them, led to them calling themselves the way. Here's what Jesus said, John 14, verse 3. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. And you've got to love the humanity of the disciples. you just got to love that. And you've got to love the Word of God, which doesn't hide the humanity of the people in the stories contained within the Word of God. It doesn't try to cover it up, make them seem better than they were. It's real. It's authentic. It's it's true to form. It's another reason why you can trust the Bible, uh, because it, it doesn't pull any punches and it doesn't hide anything about our raw humanity. Here's what Thomas said. Verse 5, it's recorded, Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? <laughs> what are you talking about, Jesus? We don't know the way. You haven't told us the way. We don't know where you're going. Jesus told him, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's very similar to what he had to tell Philip later on. When Philip said, just show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. That'll make us really believe you. And he said, are you kidding me, Philip? I've been with you all this time. You haven't figured it out yet. You want to see the Father? Look at me. You want to hear from the Father? Listen to me. I and the Father are one. And it's easy for us to shake our heads at the slowness of the disciples, but we need to shake our heads at ourselves because we are just as slow, are we not? No one comes to the Father except through me. Why? Because he is the exclusive, the unique way. He's the way to the Father. Then, now, and forever, Jesus will always be the only way to really know God, to be known by God, and to have a relationship with God. It's all about Jesus and only him. So what that means for us and for you, if you are a follower of Christ today, if you sit here right now and you know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he is your Savior, he is your Lord, he has you. If that's true of you, then you, my brother, my sister, you are a part of that ancient and holy way that got started in the first century. Isn't that an incredible thought? That, that we who live today are just as much part of the way as the original disciples were and all those that came right after them. It's an incredible legacy that we have. It's a holy legacy that we're part of. Here's the other thing about this way and being part of the way that I want to make sure we all understand we're all on the same page with. Walking the path of the way is never supposed to be a solo journey. It's never supposed to be a solo journey. You're never meant to walk it alone, ever. That's not what's intended. No, instead, we need to understand and apply the fact that we walk it with the one who is the way, the one who is the truth, the one who is the life, Jesus. We actually walk the way, which is his way. We walk it with him, and he walks it with us. So that never at any point in your Christian journey will you be able to say, ah, well, I guess I'm just walking this alone. I'm walking this path all by myself. My Savior is not with me. Where are you, Jesus? You've deserted me. You'll never, ever be able to say that. And if you are tempted to say that, it is a lie from the evil one, your enemy, the one who always wants to try to stamp out the way. That's never going to be something that you'll ever see uh, or receive from your Savior. Solitude. Never going to happen. He always walks with you. And he invites you to walk with him. It's a marvelous thought. But it's not limited to, to him. I mean, that would be enough. But not only do we not walk alone because he is always with us, but, and don't miss this, we are supposed to walk together with our fellow believers. All who are part of the way, like you are, with you. And, and understand something. That does not mean it's limited to those who also are part of this Baptist church. There's going to be a lot of people in heaven with you 
that maybe you didn't think would be in heaven with you. When we all get to heaven, you know, think of that song, when we all get to heaven, what a glorious day or marvelous day that will be, right? When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout for victory. But guess what? When we all see Jesus, we're going to see people next to us seeing Jesus that maybe we were too quick to discount as part of the way. So anyone who genuinely gives their life to Christ, trust in Him alone for their salvation and eternal destiny, they're going to be with you. And they're with you now. Even though you may not look at everything the same way, even though you may not agree with everything. I mean, I don't. I don't agree with everything from my brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of them are you. (laughs) We're not going to agree on everything every little tiny detail. We're certainly not going to agree with every little detail about people who are part of, of other you know, traditions in terms of church. But that doesn't mean that we aren't together on this way. Oh, church, we've got to wake up to the fact that we need each other. We need each other. We talked about that a little bit last week, where we we talked about the new reality that Christ ushered in, the new reality that is to mark Christianity, what it means to be a Christian. It's all about a new reality. We said that last week. And a big part of that is unity over division. Unity over division. Jesus prayed that all of his followers, all that would be part of the way, would be one as he and the Father are one. So we don't just walk with the one who is the way. I mean, that's fantastic. But we're supposed to walk together with our fellow believers. Walking the path of the way is never meant to be a solo journey, ever. Here's the other thing I want to make sure you understand about this way that you are part of if you're in Christ. Being part of the way means becoming like the one who is the way. It means becoming like Jesus. The more you walk with them, the more you should be like him. Makes sense, right? I mean, logically, that, that works. Um, as you have family and uh, moms and dads, you know this, that uh, from very early on, it doesn't take long for your children to become like you. They pick up your habits. They pick up your attitudes. They pick up your patterns. And that's both good and bad, right? <laughs> That's kind of both. They pick up the good, the bad, and the ugly. They get it all, poor kids. And that's how it should be for us who are followers of Jesus, who is the way. There's no bad, there's no ugly with him. It's all good. And as we walk with him, we should be coming more and more like him. So being part of the way, it means being aligned with Jesus, aligned with Him. It means that we are patterned after Him. It means we're cut from the same cloth. We're in the same mold as He is. We see that very clearly uh, explained to us and and told to us and challenged to us in in God's Word by one who was a, a very key figure in the way, the Apostle John, the beloved disciple. And here's what he said in his epistle, his letter to the church. First John 2.6, John said this, 
the one who says he remains in him. In other words, the one who identifies themselves as being part of Christ, being in Christ, being a Christian, part of the way. The one who says, yep, that's me. Here's what he says should mark that person. It's what should mark you and me. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. What that means is that we look at Jesus' life, we, we examine how did he walk, how did he conduct himself, how did he speak, how did he act, how did he live his life when he was here on earth in a physical body, living his life from his, during his earthly ministry, from the time he started to the time he went to the cross to the time he rose from the dead, Before he went back to the Father, how did he act? How did he live? We look at that. We examine that. And then we, by the help of the Holy Spirit, we seek to model our lives after the way he lived his life. That's what it means to walk as he walked. And so what that tells us and what we need to remember is that following Jesus, really following him, is... It's a way of belief, sure, it is. It has to be a way of belief. It's all about what you believe about Jesus and about what he said. It is a way of belief. But it also, don't miss this, it also has to be a way of life. It's not just about belief. It's about action. It's a way of life. It's a way of living. And one reason why that's so important to get down and to apply that it has to be a way of life, is because of what the late author Brennan Manning said. He, he's written so many books. Uh, the Ragamuffin Gospel is his, probably his master work, but he's written so many others. And uh, man, I encourage you to read some of what uh, Brennan Manning wrote. Uh, his biography alone is just incredible. Here's what he said. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That will preach. I agree completely with that. So if it's that important, to live as one who is the way, to live like Jesus lived, to walk like Jesus walked, if being part of the way, being part of the Christian community is all about a way of life. If it's that important, then I think we need to all ask ourselves that question, what does it really mean then to walk as Jesus walked, as he lived on this earth before he returned to the Father? What does that look like? What's that involve? What's that mean? And to do that, we look to the source. We look at Jesus. We examine the way he was. And as we look into Jesus' life and we we evaluate how he went about life and how he did his ministry, what we're going to see is some very basic but consistent themes. We're going to see his gentleness on display. We're going to see his humility on display. We're going to see his servanthood and his self-sacrifice his self, self-sacrificial way of living. That, that just runs as a constant theme throughout his entire life, through what he said, through what he did, through how he loved, through how he worked. 
And in Matthew eleven twenty nine through 30, we hear from Jesus himself. And he says this to all of his followers. Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Follow my example. Listen to me. Observe me. Learn from me. Why? For I am gentle and lowly. Another word for lowly there is humble. I'm gentle and lowly, or, or humble, in heart. In other words, in the core of his being, Jesus is saying, in the very essence of who he is, he is gentle and humble. He's not harsh. He's not one who rages all over the place. That doesn't mean he's timid. It doesn't mean he's weak. Don't confuse those terms. He's gentle and lowly. He's humble in heart. And he says, if you will do that, if you will learn from me, if you will see that in me and then model your life in the same way, look at what he promises. You will find rest for your souls. Doesn't that sound good? In the midst of all the chaos of our world, of life as we know it, in the midst of all our anxiety and worry, in the midst of all the discouragement that comes our way, in the midst of all the uncertainty, knowing that there's a source of rest that isn't fleeting or temporary, but rather it goes all the way down to your very soul. Man, man, that sounds good. And we find that in Jesus. And here's what he goes on to say. Verse 30, for my yoke, the yoke he is telling us to take on ourselves, to receive from him, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now we're going to come back to this verse, to verse 30 and and that specific phrase as we wrap up. Okay, we're going to come back to that because it's really important to understand what is being said there, what's being offered. But before we do that, I want to continue on with another passage that really gives us a great picture of who Jesus is, how he is, how he walked, how he lived. Those themes of gentleness and humility and servanthood and self-sacrifice, it's on full display in this next passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. The apostle Paul, who was Saul, who did persecute the church, but became one of the most prolific preachers in the church, penned this. He said this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. So a a great contrast here. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but rather in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of of others. And that's hard. That goes totally contrary to how we are as human beings. Naturally, humanly, we're all about looking out for me, myself, and I. We're all about being the president of our own fan club and the most loyal member. We are our own biggest fans. We're all about seeking how we can get ahead in life, naturally speaking, humanly speaking. But this challenge and this instruction to count others as more significant than yourselves and and to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but to look 
out for others' interests, not just our own. That is what it means to be part of the way. And it covers everything in life. It means every part of life, we apply that type of living to it. From the big, big things down to the small things. It means when we're at the store and someone gets in line ahead of us, rather than raging and reacting, we're good with it. Maybe we even take the initiative. And as we see someone who has less things in our cart, in their cart than what we do, we say, hey, go ahead. Go, get in front of me. Get in front of me. You have less things than I do. Hey, maybe even if they don't, we let them go ahead even though we're tired and we've been in line for what seems like a thousand years. It, it goes down to how we drive, how we are on the road. And, and man, there's a lot I could say about that, right? About, about driving and how we act as drivers. And I'm saying it to myself, trust me, because here's a little honest moment. Um, this, is, this is an area that's hard for me. Other drivers drive me crazy, and so it's very difficult for me sometimes to uh, live out Philippians 2, 3 through 4 as I'm on the road. But it includes things like that, how we conduct ourselves as other drivers. It comes down to something like inconveniences and things that are just annoying and we don't like and we're so tired of. Things like this right here. Yeah, little masks. You know, uh, we're all tired of it. We wish we didn't have to wear them. Uh, but here's the thing. Philippians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Guess what? That applies to wearing of a face covering or a mask. It means it's not about me. And when I put this on, I'm saying this is not just about me and what I want to do. It's about considering other people. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves or in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What a statement is that? This mindset that you're supposed to have, the mindset that is um, displayed and, and kind of dissected and discussed in more detail in the, in the following verses, this mind that he's telling you Christian that you should have, he's saying it's already yours. You have it. The mind you're supposed to have as a Christian, the mind that you're supposed to have as someone who's part of the way, the mind that's supposed to mark your life, it's already yours. You don't even have to pursue it and go after it. It's yours in Christ Jesus. So if you're in him, he's already given you the mind you're supposed to have. And here's what that mind is supposed to be like. Here's what it looks like. The mindset of Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, this is talking about Jesus. The mindset we're supposed to have is that of Jesus himself. Who, though he was in the form of God, in other words, that means very God. Okay, He, he had the complete divine nature. Everything the Father is, Jesus is as well. Separate persons, but sharing 100% of the divine nature, okay? Who, though he was in the form of God, God by nature, did not count or consider equality with God, which he had, which was his, 
for all of eternity was his, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to tightly. Think of that little kid that uh, mom and dad holds on to your ankles or held on to your ankles if they're past that stage. And as you walked, you know, they would hold on for your life and you could hardly move because they were, they were just around your ankles, you know. Uh, that's the imagery here. Grasping on, holding on, gripping tightly, not letting go. Jesus did not consider equality with God, which is his, a thing to be grasped onto. Rather, here's another contrast, verse 7, but instead he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Here's another thing that flies so contrary to the way we think naturally, humanly, especially as Americans. Here's the thing. I love America. I love our country. I love being American. I'm thankful and proud of that, that I'm able to have that that privilege. But here's the danger. We as Americans are so used to having American rights and freedoms that it's almost impossible for us to willingly let go of our rights, to willingly let our freedom sometimes take a back seat when it comes down to our rights as Americans, as American citizens and our freedoms, and what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Many times we choose to hold up our rights as Americans, over what it means to really be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And Christian, my brother and sister, here's what it means. It means that our identity in Christ and being part of the way, it supersedes being an American citizen. It means that rather than always clinging to my personal individual rights, I'm willing to let go of those rights for the sake of other people. As my Savior did for me, and as He did for you. It's following in His footsteps. It's following in His way. Being part of the way means walking the way He did. And here's what it said He did. He emptied Himself. He did not hold on and grasp after the rights that were His for all of eternity as being the divine Son of God. No, He let Him go. He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant for you and for me. And we need to follow His example and do the same thing in every aspect of life. Look at what else it says, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There is no greater example of self-sacrifice. There's no greater example of humility. There's no greater example of servanthood than that of Jesus. But we are to apply that same example to the way we live our life if we are part of the way. Hard? Yes. Impossible? No. No. And here's why I say that. I told you we'd come back to Matthew 11.30 and talk about that specific phrasing there. That's what we're going to do now. Matthew eleven thirty, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the yoke he wants us to take on ourselves, his yoke. 
Why? Because his yoke is easy and my burden is light. And here's what he meant by that. Here's what's wrapped up in that phrase. A yoke was used, not so much anymore, but um, centuries ago, thousands of years ago, sometimes in very remote parts of the world it's still used, but a yoke was used to pair two oxen for pulling um, a cart or usually farm equipment. And farmers would train younger, weaker oxen by partnering them with um, stronger, more experienced oxen that would pull most of the weight. The older, stronger oxen, they would pull most of the weight. And that would make the yoke easy and the weight or the burden light for the younger ox. And so as long as the young ox followed the lead of the older ox, everything was fine. And only when he did that, only when the young ox kept in step with the older, stronger, more experienced one, could the work be done without the younger one collapsing from exhaustion. It's the only only way that would work. So with that in mind, consider what Jesus said in Matthew 11.30. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the takeaway... Think of, think of that pairing of the oxen, the weaker with the stronger, the strong one carrying the weight, pulling most of that weight. The takeaway is that when we are yoked to Christ, when we're part of Him, when we're following in the way and we're in Him, when we are yoked to Christ, and more importantly, when we yield to Him. Listen to this, church, listen. He carries most of the weight. He carries it. The weight He's calling you to bear. The weight He's calling you to walk with. That that weight of being humble. That weight of considering others more significant than yourselves. That weight of not looking out just for your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That weight of not holding on and lifting up your rights no matter what above anyone and anything else, but rather denying yourself and your own rights and your own agenda, all that is weighty about that. And let's just be honest, it's very weighty. Living that way is very difficult, but it's not impossible. Why? Because if you're yoked to Christ, He carries most of the weight for you. And so as long as we stay in step with Him, our yoke can actually seem easy. And we can really experience rest regardless of the burden. Isn't that good news? Regardless of the burden we carry in life, just life in general, and regardless of the burden that we carry as those that are part of the way, it's an extra burden. It's a wonderful, wonderful life. And there's no life better than being part of Christ. There's no greater calling than being part of the way. But let's not kid ourselves. It's hard. And Jesus promised that it would be. But no matter what burden you and I have, rest is possible. We can experience it. And the fact is, in life, we will always be yoked to something. We'll always be yoked to something. It's just a question of to what or to whom. Always going to be tied to something. 
And so the only yoke that makes sense to actually choose and yield to is the yoke that Christ provides. Because it's the only one that promises eternal rest instead of endless stress. It's the only one that promises that. So my challenge to you, my challenge to me today, is let's be people of the way that willingly take on ourselves the yoke of our Savior. Because His yoke truly is easy, and His burden really is light, because He carries most of the weight, and He walks with us as we walk. And others around you that are part of the way, they're walking with you too. That's how it's supposed to be anyway, but it's up to each of us individually to choose to do that. I have to willingly come alongside you and walk with you, and you have to willingly come alongside me and walk with me, and then we both together walk in step with the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for how clear and direct and personal it is and how relevant it is. It truly is relevant to every scenario and situation that we find ourselves in. And this way that started thousands of years ago is a way that is very much a living and active and ongoing way, and it's one that we are able, privileged to be part of. When we come to your Son and we yield our lives to Him as our only Savior and Lord, we are instantly put into this ancient and holy way. Oh, Father, help us to honor those who have gone before us on this way. Help us to to live out their legacy well. And most importantly, help us to live like the one who is the way who is the truth, who is the life, your Son, Jesus. Help us to, as John said in 1 John 2, 6, for those of us who say we are in Him, to walk as He walked. Help us to do that by Your Spirit's power, knowing that we, we aren't called to walk that way alone. We have Your Son walking with us, carrying most of the weight for us. We have Your Spirit empowering us, holding us up under that weight. And we have our fellow believers in Christ. The the whole uh, universal body of Christ we have with us in this journey called the Christian life. Help us to avail ourselves of of the help that all that is. Help us to not try to, to do this alone on our own. And help us to honor you and to bring glory to you as we walk. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.